we get to be together tonight, as many as there are here, so it's still good to be together. I'm going to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, or I'll put it on the screen for you. Tonight I want to talk about how we can remain faithful. We go through challenging times, difficult times in our lives, and uh, we are constantly, I think, challenged in our faith. And tonight I think we can learn a lot of lessons about how to be faithful by looking at a familiar passage from Hebrews chapter 10 and dissect, dissect that together uh, as we look at the idea of how to be faithful and how to remain faithful. Let's look at Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 23. Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. And so tonight, let's look at this idea of being faithful and what we can learn from Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 23. First off, we're told that we need to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. That's what we're talking about, talking about being faithful, the idea of holding fast. Strong defines that as holding firmly. It's used in Matthew chapter 21, verse 38. If you want to look at Matthew 21, verse 38, the same word is used here talking about holding fast or grabbing on to something. And this is the idea that we need to have when it comes to our faith. We're holding on to something tightly, holding on firmly. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 38, But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They wanted to seize his inheritance or grab a hold of his inheritance. It was something that they desired. They were going to grab a hold of it. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 15, in the parable of the sower, Luke chapter 8, verse 15, the same idea is presented here as how the good ground receives the word. Hebrews, or sorry, Luke chapter 8, verse 15. Luke 8, verse 15. The ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. They keep the word. They hold on to it. That's what we need to do when it comes to our faith is we need to hold on to it. And the devil's going to try and cast doubt. He's going to try and discourage us. He's going to try and whisper things in our ears to tell us to give up, that it's not worth it, that you don't have to keep Faith, faith, and you don't have to hold on to that. We've got to make sure that we're holding fast the profession of our faith. I like to think about it as the guy getting plucked off of a roof of a car or roof of a house in a flood, and they bring the helicopter in and they drop the rope down to the guy. It is his lifeline. And what does he do when that rope gets down there? Does he sort of casually or nonchalantly hold on to that rope with one hand? As that, that helicopter's flying over him and there's the rope and he sees the news camera over there and he starts waving, hi mom, you know, the guys at work might be watching, I need to look cool. No, he grabs on with both hands, he wraps his leg around the rope and he's holding on for dear life because that is his only way to survive. And that needs to be our attitude towards our faith as well. We're holding on for dear life, hold fast. 
And so as the devil whispers these things in our ears, we don't need to give that root. We don't need to allow those thoughts to persist in our minds. We're going to hold fast to our faith. And that's what he's telling us to do here. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? When we're in the middle of a fight, when we're in the middle of our battle for our spiritual life, it's easier said than done to hold fast to our faith. How can we do that? Well, the rest of the context gives us clues on how we can keep, uh, hold fast to our faith and remain faithful. The first thing that we see here is that we need to have faith in God for he is faithful that promised. Hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. We need to have confidence that God is faithful. This is elementary and fundamental. But we need to be rock solid in our uh, conviction here that God is faithful. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 says simply, God, it is impossible for God to lie. God can't lie. God is faithful that promised. We need to have confidence in God. Know that God is faithful. In what ways is he faithful? First off, I want to tell you tonight, he's faithful in his promise of reward. You know, there is, when you are presented uh, the opportunity for a reward or maybe even for some wages, there's question when a man or a woman were to make a promise to you. Maybe you agree to go to work for someone and you to do a job for them. We've heard stories about someone who goes to do some work for someone. They agree on a wage, and then when the work is done, the wages don't come, or there's some argument about those wages. Not so with God. God is faithful about the reward he's promised. Turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. We see here some indication about how Paul maintained his faithfulness, and it was because of his confidence in God's promises of reward. Titus chapter 1, look at verse 1 and 2. Titus chapter 1, beginning of verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Paul knew that God's promises about eternal life, God's promises about reward, you can take him to the bank. God can't lie. No doubt this helped Paul in the darkest and most struggling times of his life to remain faithful. God is faithful in his promises of reward. But the other side of that coin is true as well. God is faithful about his promises of punishment. And we can take those promises to the bank as well. If God is, promise, if God is faithful in his promises of reward, he has to be faithful in his promises of of punishment as well because he issues those promises in the same breath, doesn't he? Promises of punishment and reward are in the same breath. And God is faithful in those as well. But there are so many who don't want to accept this, don't want to accept God's promises of punishment. Some say, and sadly some Christians want to believe, that there is no hell. That God wouldn't punish those who aren't faithful. That God somehow is too loving or too caring to punish those who are evil. There are many people who want to deny God's faithfulness and His promises about punishment. Still others are, who want to live like there is no hell. Maybe they won't deny that there is a hell, but they want to live in such a way that, that leads you to believe that they don't believe there is a hell. Live in ways that show disregard for God's promises of punishment. And still others, and maybe 
some of us in times past who wanted to push the reality of hell to the back of our mind and not think about it and somehow try to deny that that would ever happen, that God would ever send me to hell. But God is faithful in his, his promises of punishment, just as he is in his promises of reward. And we need to know that God is faithful. We can remain faithful to God if we'll know and remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God. And as we look at this passage for more indications on how we can remain faithful, I'll tell you, we can remain faithful if we'll seek help from our brethren. Look at verses 24 and 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider one another to provoke into love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We can remain faithful if we'll seek help from our brethren. We need others. We need our brethren. Now, this is contrary and in opposition to the American way. The American way is to be a rugged individualist where you don't need help from anyone. You can do it on your own. You can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's the mantra of so many people in our society today. But the fact of the matter is that we need help, and we need help from our brethren. If we didn't, why would this instruction, verses 24 and 25, be here? We need help from our brethren. Look at James chapter 5, verse 16. James chapter 5, verse 16, tells us that we need to be seeking help from our brethren. We don't have to go it alone. We don't have to be able to make this on our own. We can get help from our brethren, and we need to be asking for that. At James chapter 5, verse 16, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Brethren, we need each other, and we need to be willing to confess our faults. We need to be willing to ask others to help us. We need not be so proud to admit that we need help. We can remain faithful if we're willing to seek help from our brethren. And while we're here in Hebrews chapter 10, we cannot pass verse 25, which tells us that we should not be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We need to make sure that we understand the importance of worshiping together. It's what God has designed for our good to help us maintain faithfulness. We need each other, and we need to be here together to worship God together and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And yet you see people in times past, no doubt you've been with people in congregations who had very spotty attendance. And you knew on Sunday morning that you wouldn't see them on Sunday night. And I've asked from the pulpit for these people on their way out the door on Sunday morning to tell me where they're going to be on Sunday night that is more important than being at worship. Because I'd like to come too. If it's more important than being here, do me the favor and tell me what that is so that I can join you. The fact of the matter is it's not more important. Nothing's more important than being able to be an encouragement to others. We need to be that encouragement, and we need to be here so that we can be encouraged. Forsaking the assembling of the saints is, by definition, a sin. And sadly, I'm afraid that some will spend an eternity in hell for failing to assemble like they should. Remember, God is faithful. We need to be obeying the assembly, the instruction to assemble ourselves 
without forsaking those assembling. And so if we want to be faithful to God, we need to be seeking help from others. We need to be humble enough to admit that we need help, and we need to be seeking that help from others. I'll tell you something else that we see here, though, from this same passage, is that we need to be providing help from, uh, for, uh, to others. We need to be providing help to others. Some might think that they are the only one that's harmed when they don't assemble, when they forsake the assembling, the assembling of the saints. And quite frankly, that is not so. Hebrews chapter, 25, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 is one way that we fulfill the commands of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24. To consider one another, to provoke, to love and good works. When we're here, we're encouraging others. And when we're not here, we're discouraging others. You want to forsake the assembling. Think about this. What would, what would you think if a Christian failed to make it through the trials of this week because they were discouraged because you weren't at a worship assembly? If they were discouraged because they knew that you had deemed something else more important than being here to, to encourage him or her, and they failed to make it through the trials of the week because they were discouraged by your lack of assembling. We need to remember how important it is that we consider each other, that we are an example and an encouragement to each other. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 talks more about our responsibilities to each other. We've talked about this in our Sunday morning Bible class period, about the importance that we have and the responsibility that we have towards each other. Galatians chapter 6, beginning of verse 1. Galatians 6, beginning of verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need to be considering one another. We need to be bearing one another's burdens. We need to be an encouragement to our brethren if we see them overtaken in a fault. We can remain faithful if we'll provide help to others. Now, how is that? Look at 2 John verse 4. In 2 John verse 4, we'll see how this helped John. How it helped John to be faithful when he was encouraging others to be faithful. Obviously, I'll get encouragement to be faithful if I'll seek help from others. I want to tell you, by looking at John's example, I think we learn that we can be encouraged to be faithful by providing that help to others. 2 John verse 4. Notice what John says. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as, if, as we have received a commandment from the Father. What caused John to be encouraged when he heard about other people being faithful? When John learned about other Christians being faithful, he was encouraged in his faithfulness as well. While you're still there, probably on the same page, look at 3 John, verses 3 and 4. 3 John, verses 3 and 4. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. Even as thou walkest in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. John was encouraged because he had been working with these brethren. He had been encouraging these brethren and he heard that they were being faithful. And so it is with you and with me. If we want to be encouraged in our faithfulness, we need to be getting serious about encouraging others because that will have a reciprocal effect where it will encourage us in our faithfulness as, as well. If you want to be encouraged in your faithfulness, seek help from brethren, but also provide help to others. We're not in this alone. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning of verse 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. We're in this together. We're not alone. And that has both a good side to it and a bad side to it. When we're all strong and encouraged, that helps us. But when someone is discouraged, we all suffer as a result. You've had a small member of your body, no doubt, that is injured at times, been times past. Maybe it's a pinky finger that gets cut. And that causes pain throughout your whole body, doesn't it? That causes difficulty throughout your whole body when one little member is not what it should be. And so it is with us in this body of Christ. When one member is struggling, we all suffer as a result of it. And so if you want to be encouraged in your faithfulness, be encouraging others and providing help to others. It will help. We're all in this together. And then as we go on and look at other ways from this passage on how we can be faithful, we need to realize that the end is coming. The end is near. When I was in high school, I ran cross country because I was too clumsy to do anything else. The baseball coach told me he thought I'd be pretty good at running because I wasn't very good at baseball. And uh, as we ran cross country over in Knoxville, the course was not all that fun. As soon as you got started, you went straight up a hill. And by the time you got to the top of the hill, you were pretty much just walking. You were, it was so steep. And we'd run up and down, up and down, and just about dead. But as we came around the cor corner, we could come, you'd, you could see the finish line. And you had to go past the finish line and make a loop and come back. And as soon as I saw that finish line, as many runners did, as soon as you could see that finish line, you got another burst of energy because you realize it's almost done. And our coach, it doesn't take a lot to be a track coach. You just got to tell your kids to go run. There's not a lot of strategy, not a lot of technique, just run. But one thing that he did, one strategy he did have, if he saw you running too fast at the end, he said, listen, you had too much left over. You needed to be running harder throughout the whole race. He didn't want to see you coming in just tearing it up right at the end. And that's the way it needs to be in our life as well as Christians. The end is getting near. And we need to make sure that we're working and we're working hard. We don't want to have a lot in reserve at the end when we cross the finish line. Look at Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Romans 13, beginning verse 11. Romans 13, beginning verse 11. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Romans 13, 11 through 14 is true for everyone that is here. The time is not nigh. Our salvation is nearer now than when we believed. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. 
Our salvation is nearer than when we believed. It doesn't matter what kind of status your health is in. Our salvation is nearer now than when we believed. We need to realize that the end is coming. Don't give up. We've come so far, we can't afford to give up. The day is approaching. And then we need to understand the consequences of failure. Look at verses 26 and 27. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. We need to understand the consequences of failure. We can't afford to fail. Much like that guy that's holding on to that rope that's been plucked from the, the roof of his house or the roof of his car in a flood. That's his only hope. He cannot afford to fail. And so it is with us and us remaining faithful to God. We cannot afford to fail. We must succeed no matter the cost. Look at Jude, verses 5 through 7. Look at Jude, beginning verse 5. Jude, beginning verse 5. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved an everlasting change under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. You might think, well, it wouldn't happen to me. God wouldn't do that to me. Look at all the people that God has punished in the past. We can't afford to be in that number. We have to understand the consequences of failure. This is something that we have to succeed in. We have no choice. We have to remain faithful. It is our only option. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 23 through 27 again read, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Know that God is faithful. Know that he's faithful in his promises of reward. He's faithful in his promises of punishment. Seek help from your brethren. Provide help. To others, remember that the end is coming and understand the consequences of failure. Hope the things that we've talked about tonight have been encouraging to you in your efforts to remain faithful and pleasing to God. Are you living a life that's pleasing to God? Are you living faithfully? If you're not, we would encourage you to make correction to that before it's too late. If there's anything we do to help you, will you let us know while we stand, while we sing?